Welcome, everybody. This is the Pod Squadron Podcast. We are the show about all things Star Wars, coming from books, media, TV, animation, games, and everything else under the stars and suns in your life. So, once again, well, we're here to introduce. <laughs> Really? <laughs> We're off to an early start. Dude. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> it's a theme now. It's something you gotta do. It's just our running shtick. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. He's back. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, amazing. I know. Um, and uh, we Good also luck. have. Like rain on your wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> so ironic. So ironic. Uh, we also have the lovely nerd girl, Tracy. How you doing? I'm great. I'm drinking cider, so I'm fantastic. <laughs> That's your spotchka. Gotcha. And we also have joining us again, Lexi Lee. How are you doing today? It's been a busy week. It's good to be back, guys, especially for this episode. Good, good, good. So really quickly, uh, Thanksgiving just passed. How is everyone feeling? Happy holidays. <laughs> happy holidays to all yeah it's the holidays now we cannot escape it i know right anybody get anything awesome for black friday no nah? i did not brave the stores yet uh <laughs> the the online stores i i bought a, i bought a onesie <laughs> <laughs> hey it's a, a blue leopard onesie it's from like a small company and it's really good for doing uh aerial and yoga and stuff in so support small businesses fashion hey. show fashion show fashion. Oh. <laughs> you guys gotta have me back on because it's not here yet <laughs> i'll say this too uh uh i encourage everyone to as you're thinking of Black Friday and Cyber Monday, also remember uh, Giving Tuesdays. Uh, please support your favorite nonprofit. And on Giving Tuesday, if you donate via Facebook, uh, I believe Facebook is matching all donations up to fifty per, uh, uh, up to seven million dollars uh, for various organizations that are donated too. So um, my organization, East West Players, uh, does have a uh, fundraiser that is up. So if you can look for that, I'll share. Go ahead and share that uh, via Chinese Pirate Productions uh, on all of my accounts as well as the East West Players uh, page. But yes, every every donation will be matched on the morning of Giving Tuesday, the the December first. I knew nothing about that. I've never heard of Giving Tuesday actually. Oh yeah, I hadn't well, either. So it's good to know. Yeah, a lot of a lot of nonprofits kind of turned it into a thing. So it's just kind of a way to kind of focus on philanthropy. Uh, after we do all of our shopping. <laughs> good, good. And so nobody, nobody really got anything. I got, I have a little something I got for, from uh, this whole Black Friday that's been going on an entire month this year. Um, but I'll, and I'll show it to you a little later. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, been, a, been a pretty good year uh, so far in terms of shopping online, I guess. Um, so I, I picked up a little something, not online, but I found out about it online. And I'll show you that later. Um, but I want to go ahead and get right into it this week. Uh, we don't have we have a lot of stuff to go over, especially with the awesomeness that just happened in the last episode of The Mandalorian. Lots of piece together, lots of 
really go into, I've got some feelings on it. No, Andy and uh, Lexi do as well. Um, so to start us off, let's get a little feature on one of our characters that showed up. The name Ahsoka, Ata- Ahsoka, eh, Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> See, there's a misspelling somewhere on one of these things where it says A-S-H, and that's not how it's spelled. So I almost said Ashoka. Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> anyway, Ahsoka Tano is finally here. People have been waiting on her debut to The Mandalorian. Some people who are new to Star Wars or only know Star Wars from the films really didn't know that much about her, but she's an important figure. So just to kind of set the tone, a little history, a little backstory, and a feature, we have Lexi Lee presenting us with our feature on a brief history of Ahsoka Tano. Lexi, take it away. All right, so this is definitely abridged because there is so much on our girl here. Uh, if anybody if anybody notices that I miss anything uh, that you guys find particularly important, please feel free to chime in in the comments. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, Ahsoka, so her major appearances... We first see her in the Clone Wars movies in the series. We see her in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, she gets a, in my opinion, really disappointing uh, voiceover in The Last Jedi at the very end of it. She gets a novel, which I haven't read yet, and I need to get on that. Uh, yeah, that's that's going on my wish list this holiday season for sure. And then I noticed that they have some little uh, Star Wars shorts, and she's featured in those, and I haven't had a chance to watch them yet. But uh, little like two, three minute short. So she gets featured a lot. Um, who is she? She is a Togruden female force user. If you notice, she um, was born on the planet Shili. She was recruited by Master Plo Koon to the Jedi Order at an early age. Um, is the former Padawan apprentice to Anakin Skywalker. Big one right there. And is currently unaffiliated with any force using organization. She's a big deal because she's one of the first female Jedi to get any real character development or any major plot arcs. Uh, a lot of people who are not super familiar with the Star Wars verse were kind of surprised at um, this first inclusion, of major inclusion of, our, of a Jedi here in Mandalorian. But it actually does make a lot of sense that she'd be our first Jedi in this series because she's got a history of associating with key Mandalorians like Sabine Wren and Bo-Katan Kryze. Well, and also, of course, like the history of Mandalore, too. Um, she figures Absolutely. in very importantly in a couple of storylines. I'll quickly say I did actually get the chance to um, – I didn't read the Ahsoka novel. I did the audiobook, which is great because it's actually writ, uh, read by Ashley Eckstein. Uh, Eckstein? Oh, Eckstein? I, that I don't by her. know. By the, by, the, by the voice actress who actually uh, performs her in all of the animated series. Um, so one little uh, 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 addition here. Um, uh, an important reason why was, why was she assigned to Anakin Skywalker as a Padawan? And uh, this was kind of a, a key thing that was brought up in the Clone Wars film where Mace Windu and Yoda uh, believe that Anakin was reckless and uh, he was becoming more involved in the war. And they were like, you know what? If we assign him a Padawan, he will be responsible for someone who'll learn responsibility. And also hopefully he will become less reckless because uh, he's responsible for someone. He'll also (laughs) have to learn how to let go of his attachments because watching a Padawan grow up and become a knight and leave him, would be a great lesson and a great opportunity for both of them to learn. So they basically took the most reckless Padawan and the most reckless, uh, you know, newly knighted Jedi Knight 
and put them together thinking this will fix itself. What could go um, wrong? What could and, possibly and, go and, wrong? And, and they figured out that, you know, fighting fire with fire was like, you know, just uh, lots of fire. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, set yeah. everything on fire. But that was, that that was the great thing was that they both actually complemented each other very well. Right. I mean, they both learned how to improvise a lot of times in the Clone Wars series. Uh, the, uh, it's their their way of improvising is shown to be more uh, effective than some of their other more rigid uh, compatriots. Anyways, that's and, all that. And they did learn from each other. They learned a lot from each other. They they moved each other along really, really key and necessary uh, character developments. And if you're of the school of thought, which it seems, at least in the later parts of the series, that Yoda is that the you know Jedi Order was flawed and could stand to, you know, uh, evolve into something new. It wasn't the intended effect, but it might ultimately have been a good thing because it did did lead them to their ultimate um, their ultimate arcs so far. Ahsoka's, which we're still figuring out. We're still learning more about it. So, quick question. Did, when does she, as far as the movies go, um, where most people would know their Star Wars, how does she fit in, um, in terms of timing and when she comes in and comes out, for those who haven't seen, uh, you know, Clone Wars or Rebels or anything like that? So, in terms of timing, when Anakin first turns to the dark side, that's at a point when she is um, in hiding. Mm -hmm. She's about 17 about that point, I think, right? Yeah. This, good, this is good like age. between episodes yeah. two and three. Between episodes two and three, yeah. And she doesn't know who Darth Vader is when he first, you know, becomes a, a figurehead for the Sith. Uh, so at that point, she's still in her late teens, early twenties, to to give that kind of a an anchor. Reference I think point. she's I think she's fourteen at the beginning of the Clone Wars, and that's mm -hmm. about the time she's uh, assigned to Anakin. Uh, she spends a lot of time through the war, becomes um, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, a commander alongside uh, Obi Wan and and Anakin, and. Um, do you want to actually get into her her her, her resume, uh, Lexi? Yeah, absolutely. So she's actually one of the youngest commanders in the Grand Army of the Republic and even went so far as um, ended up dying during a mission on the planet Mortis, which is a very, that's like a deep lore dive. Mortis is like a very force-attuned uh, planet. And she ended up resurrected by a deity on Mortis known as the Daughter, which she represented the light side of the force. She ended up framed for multiple homicides and the bombing of the Jedi Temple hangar, and then became disillusioned with the Jedi Order for accusing her. Even when she ended up clearing her name and the Jedi Council let her come back, she ended up refusing uh, her readmission to the Jedi Order once her name was cleared. Um, she kind of ha has a history, even when she was with the Jedi Order, of helping underdogs. She was freeing trafficked children, uh, freeing enslaved Togruta while she was still with the Jedi Order, other people from her race. Uh, immediately after, she supported an uprising against the Empire on Rada and joined Senator Bail Organa and helped him expand the Rebel Network. So she was with the Rebel Network before Leia even became a major player in it. Um, Actually, to also quickly... kind of give a, a, another reference point in time. 
quickly uh, interjecting, she was also the Jedi who helped train, uh, what's his name, Forrest Whitaker's character. Um, oh, yes. I'm, I'm blanking Saul on... Um, Saw Guerrera. Saw Guerrera. Saw Guerrera. There we go. Yeah. And didn't, didn't approve of his methods, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Key. Thank we you for reminding have me a, that. We do have an Ahsoka question here on the yes. chat. Okay. So Al wants to know, can you explain for people like um, that have only watched the movies, why Ahsoka has such a strong fan base? I've been hearing the buzz about this episode for weeks. <laughs> okay. So yeah. All right. So Ahsoka's got such a strong fan base. I think, I think partially because she really is one of the first female Jedis that gets a real plot arc and a real character arc, uh, even if that's not in the feature films. You know, you finally have um, someone who she, you know, isn't isn't just introduced as like a member of the Jedi Council who happens to be a woman, uh, that kind of thing. And up until then, you know, you have a lot of strong female characters, but none of them who are Jedi. So that's, I know, one of the reasons why she gained a huge amount of popularity. Uh, and that wasn't the case at, at, at first, too, when she was it first introduced. Like, people hated her. Like, people were like, oh, she's the new Jar Jar. She's a kitty character. And she really earned her stripes and mm -hmm. earned her popularity. Um, you know, one of the key things, the core ideas of this character is that, again, she's a rebel very much like Anakin. But she managed to she manages to maintain her sense of compassion and her her kind of moral center to the point that she questions the Jedi order and basically calls out the Jedi order. Like this whole uh, storyline um, at the end of season six of the clone wars is pivotal because she basically says, y'all didn't back me up. Y'all were so quick to play politics and throw me under the bus. And now when it's proven that I, I, I was not the assassin, um, um, you're just like, oh, everything's normal. No, like you're you're all po like playing politics more than doing what you were sent here to do. We're not monks. We're now all soldiers, and we're fighting this war for you know for political reasons and not doing what's right. So not only was she one of was she basically the first female Jedi that you know uh, women could relate to in that in that way. She also had, as Andy was just saying, this huge role as a character, being one of the first major characters, one of the first Jedi to call out the actual um, the process by which the Jedi Order worked, what the Jedi Order had turned into. So she's a really nice character foil for Anakin turned Vader. She's an excellent foil for Anakin turned Vader. Um, kind of shows how you could take all that passion and instead of, of letting it fester and turn to hate, that you, know, you could uh, do something constructive with it and not follow the Jedi Order still. <laughs> um, uh, now... Tell us about her lightsabers, though. Those are like really, yes. like we haven't seen sabers like this on screen so, before. Absolutely. So her lightsabers actually kind of ties into one of the reasons why she is increasingly so, you know, so important. Uh, she acquired those sabers not by your usual means. She didn't get them when she was an apprentice. She actually got them. Uh, Let's see. Where did I where did I put where did I put that section? I have so many notes on her, you guys. <laughs> I have so many notes on her. Okay, so when she had to flee to Coruscant to clear her name, 
she ended up faking her own death and leaving her original lightsabers behind. So her original lightsabers were a pair of two green. One was green. One was a lighter green. And that one was, um, was a Shoto saber, which was a shorter one, which is also the same style of saber that Yoda uses, uh, usually for short, uh, smaller Jedi, which Ahsoka also one of those. Uh, the reason that it's, uh, again, leading, going with her um, importance, importance in, in the series and in, in this whole universe is that she got those lightsabers, she got those lightsabers, she got the kyber crystals by uh, defeating one of the um, Imperial Inquisitors. Was it, was it, uh, what was his name? Does anybody oh, remember? I think I'm blanking was, uh, on what it was. I think it was six, something six brother. brother? Six, six brother, brother. I couldn't remember which brother it was. Yeah, so it was six brother. So she defeated six brother who had the two lightsabers and double bladed lightsaber and purified the kyber crystals. So I wish there were more on the actual purification of the kyber crystals, but they, uh, they go over hmm? it a little bit. Um, so there's 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 stuff about pure about okay. So like there's stuff in the comics about how lightsaber crystals turn red and this is a relatively new thing in the last couple years where uh, a sith would defeat a jedi take their crystal whether it was green or blue or purple whatever and they would make it bleed and that's where the color red would come from Mm -hmm. uh so the i this idea of ahsoka and this was in the uh the ahsoka novel actually of defeating six brother um taking his double-bladed lightsaber um uh, and then going through a ritual to purify it of its darkness and basically turning it white, right? And of course, it's it's also the idea that she is no longer a Jedi. Like, she's very Absolutely. adamantly not of the Jedi way of the Jedi. She has disavowed um, that path in, in, in favor of her own. Um, um, and uh, uh, so she is not affiliated with either Jedi or Sith. And, and I think and I think that is represented really, really beautifully in that uh, narrative choice that they had in the comic books. See, I didn't I was wondering where it was brought up. I was like, is it in the book? Is it in the novel? Is it, or is it in the comic books? I, I wasn't sure because I hadn't seen it. I'd only read yeah. a little bit about it. And I knew that I thought it was a really, really incredibly strong choice that they made for her to purify these crystals. And when she purifies them, because you know, some of the idea being that the kyber crystals take on their color from, you know, the characteristics of the Jedi. Um, that being, you know, kind of a where where's that idea introduced? Somebody probably knows better than I do. I, I think it was introduced in in the Ahsoka novel. Actually, the, the, you mean the purification? Uh, beyond beyond the purification, where there oh. where there's a the the I don't I don't know if it's canon or if it's just theory that like a Jedi's personality or inclinations can have an effect on the color of the kyber crystal. And I'm not sure how canon that is, but I do, I do, I do love green versus blue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I do love that. I do love that they kind of chose to go with white light, which is all colors. If you think of it from like a, a science light and color theory standpoint, white is the combination of all light colors. Um, and so it, it kind of really firmly, as you said, is a visual and narrative indicator that even though she rejects the dark side of the force, she doesn't associate with the light in the pre-prescribed way that the Jedi taught her, that she has her own path. 
Uh, and instead of picking one color, almost it's kind of all of them. I, I think that's kind of cool. Whether or not that particular thing was intentional, I think it's kind of cool that it ends up being that way because white light is is this full spectrum. Well, yeah. so I think it's uh, I think it's really uh, interesting, at least to me, the whole. Uh, Choosing her own path, um, not just in the story, but if you look at the regular bits of um, Star Wars lore, you know, people have always been wondering, well, hey, is it just Sith and is it just Jedi? You know, we see a situation where, you know, you have Anakin and Ahsoka thrown in kind of with him. And, you know, to Andy brought this up a little while ago, but I've had corporate situations where people say, you know, we don't like that guy. He's weird. Let's throw this other weird person in together. And if they fuck up, then we can get rid of all of them at the same time. So that's kind of how I viewed it. Cause I'm watching this and I'm like, Oh man, they're just lumping all the, the jet, the problematic force users <laughs> together. They're about to get laid off. I, I have a question. What about the dual, the dual sabers? Cause the only other person we really see with dual sabers is Ventress, right? And yeah, Ventress and Maul has double sided as well doesn't he well so maul has double bladed mm, that was the name uh, but it's all but, uh, bladed. But ventress but he doesn't and... detach them mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah but, but ventress and uh and ahsoka specifically dual wield which is like the specific thing right yeah, yeah. that is a that is a very specific thing so that is uh considered again and that might be something for the comic books or the novels but it's uh something that i read about called the jarkai method uh they it is more a double a double wielding thing which is Part of my fan theory on the blades, um, I noticed that most of that her, okay, so specifically Asajj Ventress and Ahsoka Tano, dual wield blades, they do this very specific, uh, the Jarkai style. And so it, I'm, I'm wondering if there is some kind of significance to the fact that uh, these two characters who were initially trained by uh, respectively the Sith and the Jedi and ended up having bad experiences with the hierarchy mm. and the politics that went into the order that had chosen, they had chosen to educate them. And they ended up turning their back on the order and a point I didn't include in, in my breakdown here, uh, but is very relevant, especially to this little fan theory is that there is a, a situation at, uh, during uh, the animated series during which Asajj and Ahsoka actually team up. There's, there's a few actually. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing where she uh, adopts. So, okay. So, so when we first meet Ahsoka, she is distinct in that she carries a single green lightsaber, which she carries inverted. That's basically mm -hmm. the blade. The reverse under, under grip. Reverse grip. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after her first duel against Asajj, um, she actually goes and makes the second sh uh, Shoto blade and mm -hmm. begins dual welding, dual wielding kind of after her experiences against uh, Asajj Ventress. Um, so yes, there is there is definitely a connection between them. I have a yeah, connection. I have a, a question inspired by one of Al's questions here, is, and that is that he specifically noticed that she went left-handed after losing her one saber. Was she left-handed in Clone Wars? 
Do you remember? Is that I don't remember, but now I'm going to go back and rewatch that because yeah. I am left-handed and that would just make my year. <laughs> <laughs> if she was a lefty, that would just make my year. So I thank you for that question because that'll give me something to go back and look for. Wait, maybe someone will have that on the internet. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and quick note, um, Asajj Ventress, that's uh, Dooku's apprentice that he was trying to build up on the sly um, when he was thinking about getting rid of the uh, Palpatine. So, yeah, uh, in and case then you Palpatine found out about. and then forced him to try to kill her. And she's like, and she went, cast out by her master. And, and then, then she went rogue. And then, and then she went, she went rogue. Uh, ended up, ended up becoming a, a bounty hunter and and there's a couple of points that sort of towards the end of the character arc where you see her making some some decisions that actually seem to have some kind of a solid moral center. You know, she doesn't go out of her way to be good, but she is definitely not a Sith anymore. Um, I don't think she ever loses the red blades, though. I don't think she ever loses the red blades. Um, okay. I don't think in canon she I don't think she was supposed to be technically left-handed but if Rosario Dawson is left-handed then <laughs> that would also make my year I don't lose here <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if any of you uh, I don't know if any of you have any thoughts on uh, Star Wars getting into the whole gray Jedi thing or this is their way of introducing it um, not specifically calling it out but just kind of throwing in characters that don't necessarily fit into the Sith Jedi type of, you know, demarcations. Any thoughts? There's a lot of thoughts about that in the chat. Mm. Throw us one. I don't know if you want me to say them. Go for it. It looks like some people, oh. are, some people are asking about it and Jason's saying that there are no gray Jedi. So, so oh, did you hear me? I said, if, if I recall, uh, what has been said so far is that, yes, like Jedi is a way, uh, Sith is a way. Um, in terms of there being such a thing as a great Jedi, that's kind of would be a misnomer. There could be a path that is, shall we say, a great path, but it hasn't mm -hmm. been named. And that's something that I'm kind of really interested in. I'm hoping thing that happens as we kind of deep uh, uh, start more storytelling is we start seeing more of these different um, approaches to the force, right? Like we saw uh, 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 Donnie Yen's character uh, in Rogue One, right? And there's that methodology and that worship of the force, right? Or, um, you know, like we've seen um, for, for fans of uh, Rebels, like we've seen the Bendu, uh, yes. who is a really fascinating character who... Uh, 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 does kind of align with this kind of center path that is neither Jedi Sith, Ashla or Bogan. So, exactly. And they have and they have that reflected a little too in the in the the Mortis planet arc story arc as well. With you have the father, son, and daughter, and yeah. the daughter being the embodiment of the light, the son being the embodiment of the dark, and the father being the balancing force um, in between on that planet. Those are the light sides of the force. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so yeah, so really quick thing about the Mortis arc. So the Mortis arc was, I think, like a three-episode storyline in Clone Wars. And the idea is that Anakin, Ahsoka, and uh, Obi-Wan end up on this planet 
that is controlled by these force gods. And um, basically it just kind of digs deeper into the mythology behind the force, where the force comes from, how the force works, the nature of the force. So these characters of, of um, the daughter of the son and the, the father are representatives of almost kind of metaphorical representatives of like the nature of the force or the various natures of the force. And uh, we've seen them kind of pop up. And that's also a really important storyline for Ahsoka specifically, uh, because uh, as Lexi mentioned before, she does die and is resurrected uh, by the daughter character and, 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 and is, so that's kind of always been an interesting point of, of what her purpose in the whole, like, um, prophecy of it all uh because she somewhat exists outside kind of normal grounded force usage <laughs> yeah ahsoka definitely exists outside of a lot of normal grounded anything i mean the way the last time that uh not not the last time but you know after she initially figures out who darth vader is and and is you know is dueling him uh, on Malachor, the entire Sith temple collapses on top of them. And the only reason she survives is because future Ezra Bridger pulls her out with a portal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she, like, she, she breaks a lot of rules. And I think that also goes back to our, our uh, chat question of why she is so such a fan favorite and why yeah. she is so popular because she breaks all the rules in the way that in the same way Anakin does, but she doesn't go dark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that that's that's actually another thing. So like so the world between worlds was uh, an idea introduced in Rebels, where Ezra Bridger, one of the kind of leading characters in that series, uh, discovers a temple to the Mortis gods, and through it enters kind of a space and time realm called the world between worlds. Uh, that allows him access to various points within the Star Wars timeline, uh, you know, just kind of defying time and space. Uh, not a lot is known about it, but um, as far as we know, both he and Ahsoka are the only two characters to have gone through this realm. Do you know what yeah. her what name she went by after she went into hiding? Ashla. Do you know Light what side of means? the force? Yeah. Light side of the force. <laughs> awesome. Jason wanted yeah. to put that out in the chat. Oh, and and in uh, if there's other other parts of it um, where you guys have heard Fulcrum mentioned mm -hmm. uh, as a intelligence agent for the resistance, that is uh, that's Ahsoka as well. Yeah. In fact, I think her. Her uh, her te uh, her face markings actually become kind of an early symbol of the of the rebellion and um, and fulcrum mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So what did so. she do during the rebellion? Uh, during the rebellion, that was one of the things that I was going to say. That was one of the things where she had so many missions that I kind of had to abridge it. <laughs> because <laughs> um, she did a lot um, she she was with the rebellion starting from uh, when Bail Organa formed it so before Leia became kind of a heavyweight player before the original trilogies 
for the original trilogy, I guess she would have been more of a player during. Um... No, she wouldn't have been. Yeah, she. she I mean, she, they basically introduced that idea of her being mm-hmm. kind of the hands of Bail Organa in the formation of of the of the rebel, rebellion. So the idea being that you know she had experience. Um, training obviously saw Guerrera and other up, you know small uprisings, you know, or, or you know she also actually mm-hmm. uh, trained young Mandalorians uh, prior to uh, you know um, the uh, well yeah uh, yeah there's an episode arc where she, she's training Mandalorians, but um, Bale somehow finds out that she's still alive and still out there and recruits her to basically be a central point of contact to activate various rebel cells. So before there is a rebel alliance, there are various small cells on various planets, um, including, you know, the, the cell that we see in Rogue One, including the cell that we see in Star Wars Rebels on Lothal. Um, and she is kind of the central point of contact that basically starts moving them towards unifying into a rebel alliance. So there's definitely uh, a lot of um, uh, Ahsoka in in Star uh, mm-hmm. Clone Wars and, and Rebels. Yeah. And uh, the the so. Hunter Stinky, whatever you want to call that movie. Um, <laughs> but so now, yeah, there's so, so much. Uh, she's definitely a character that uh, that that, uh, that grew on me, and she wasn't. I wasn't a. I don't want to say I wasn't a fan of hers. I wasn't a fan of the first movie. So it was just so bad to me that, um, that I kind of associated her with that. But then very quickly after she was reintroduced, I guess, and uh, she became a favorite of mine. And I also like shock T uh, who's the same type mm-hmm. of um, character with the, the head tails and, uh, yeah. or two. and so I like her. So that kind, of, that kind of led me into liking uh really getting into Ahsoka. Yeah. So uh, definitely check her out if you are uh, watching Rebels or Clone Wars. Kind of have to if you check those out. But if you and want to know more, that's where you go. And, and we'll go ahead and try and build an essential uh, watch list that we'll release over social media. Not everything, because that's basically all of Clone Wars and you know, <laughs> yeah, over half of the Rebels uh, shows. So we'll, yeah. we'll try and pick out like the most important episodes and stories uh, uh, that you can you know cherry pick. Um, yeah. on your Disney plus viewing. Yeah. And if you uh, missed our show last week or didn't hear this part, we also have a watch list for all of your necessary Mandalorian history. Um, we've created that. It's on our Facebook page. You can search for that or just ping any of us. Bo-Katan specifically. Yeah. Or Mandalorian lore. Uh, or there's Bo- one for each. <laughs> okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be, uh, those are also uh, available online. So, um, now we still got to get into the Mandalorian season two, episode five. But as I said, um, this this show is special to me. Uh, not just this this podcast, but the the Mandalorian, uh, Star Wars. It's all special to me. So being in the holiday spirit, um, I was walking through Target and was feeling the holiday vibes. You know, everybody's doing their Black Friday month shopping that they're doing now, <laughs> and I ran across something very very cool that I hadn't seen talked about anywhere else. I'm just going to do this really quickly. Just bear with me. I found uh, something that took me back to my Saturday morning cartoon era, which is what the Mandalorian is <laughs> doing. And it is star Wars cereal. Um, what? Yes. It's uh, a <laughs> Mandalorian 
baby Yoda full of uh, sugar and uh, frosty puff. <laughs> uh, you know, nutrition, fruity flavored sweetened cereal with marshmallows and other flavors. Please uh, tell me there's little marshmallow frogs or yeah. frog frog eggs. eggs. <laughs> marshmallow frog eggs. Exactly. I've oh, never Denver. I've never tried this at all. So this is my first opening here. Wait, do the do the nuggets look like chicken nuggies? <laughs> Tip you. They're little nondescript green nuggies. green shiny neon um baby yodas, I suppose. <laughs> Without the ears. Yep. yep. And then your crunchy little uh kicks type of deals. Yep, yep, that's good. Those are the chicken so nuggies. Every yeah. Grogu Nuggies. Every uh, every Saturday morning, I would always sit down and you know watch uh, cartoons or whatever with my brothers and stuff. And we'd get a big bowl like this. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much do the whole thing. So you know it's real if you lost your spoon in there somewhere. <laughs> this is how we do it. Wait, isn't there that from a movie too? Like a giant bowl of cereal? What movie is that in? A movie of life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Are they as good as the C three PO cereal? Have you had those? C three POs. C three POs. Stop. I actually thought I actually thought the C three POs were a little too oily. Like they had a little too much rain, and you know. Speaking six billion languages type of <laughs> multi-grain goodness. This is this is far more, you know, frog in a bog, you know, type of nutrition. So uh, that's my that's my review. Um, that's truly in a boxing. <laughs> a literal. They should rename them Grogu's. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I feel a little hopped up on sugar already. I was gonna say you, you feeling right. sugar. You you hyped. So, hyped. Um, moving on. <laughs> Does anybody in the chat have questions about my cereal? <laughs> no. Any more questions about your cereal? Moving on then. Oh, somebody right. said it's forgetting so, Sarah Marshall. Um, we are up to episode five of the. Oh, oh. The big bowl of cereal. Wait, I guess forgetting, forgetting Sarah Marshall. I missed the. Oh, 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 sorry, right. Ah, nice. I'll have to go back and look yeah. at that and make sure my, my bowl is up to up to snuff there. That wasn't the movie I had so, in mind, so apparently it just is the bowl of cereal of life. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is I wasn't the only one who would do that. It was like me, my brother, and my oldest brother. We'd all have big bowls, and my mother would just look at us and shake her head, but let us do our thing. <laughs> Once a week. Alright, so we are up to episode 5 of The Mandalorian, uh, the show that's rocking everybody's world, keeping people subscribed to Disney Plus, and getting everybody all excited about what will happen next week in this adventure. So, um, Andy, you got a, Andy and Tracy are going to take this away. You got a synopsis and an overview. Let's go. Alright, so this is chapter 13, The Jedi. Uh, so the Mandalorian and the child continue to search for the Jedi. Following the lead they received from the heiress Bo-Katan, they arrive at the city of Caladon on the planet Corvus, where the population lives in fear of the city's magistrate, Morgan Elsbeth. Her guards and, uh, and a mercenary named Lang are, are protecting her 
from uh, a an attacker. But their paths will collide with the mysterious warrior Bo-Katan sent them there to find, the mysterious Ahsoka Tano. Uh, so this was uh, a great episode. I, I, you know, if you can't tell, I, I am a, an Ahsoka fan. Uh, uh, I have loved this character. I have watched this character grow. And um, there is so much wonderful, beautiful tragedy to her arc. Uh, that um, is, has been great to watch develop. So I went into this episode knowing that uh, I am biased because this is just a realization of things. Not just a realization of seeing Ahsoka Tano come to life, but also uh, a realization of getting to watch Dave Filoni play in live action for the first time. Well, not the first time, but really to kind of really treat one of his signature characters uh, uh, in real life. So uh, this episode heavily pulls from uh akira kurosawa and classic westerns um if you are a fan of any of his art if you've seen his instagram um there are shots that look like straight out of his sketchbook in fact there's even scenes that look like it's just kind of a he almost staged the 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 episode like a series of paintings um, um that that are beautifully composed with some great hero pose moments um you also feel a lot of the, a lot of use of silence and stillness, um, um, as you know you get into these kind of moments where you're really feeling um, the quiet and the pensiveness and kind of the tragedy of uh, the weight of everything that has come before this moment, and uh, uh, actually a lot of minimal dialogue. And so for 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 me, I kept wondering, as much as I was loving everything, I really wanted to know if people who are not familiar with Ahsoka and people who are not familiar with this character are feeling all the feels that I was feeling. And uh, so I don't know if I can give this uh, a fair uh, review ranking uh, because I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it hit me in emotional places. There's one particular scene uh, that Ahsoka has that like hit me in a, in a, in a particular way. And we can get into that uh, uh, later, but uh yeah, so that's my thing. Uh, I I was wondering, you know, if it's if if it's uh, if it delivers on fan service, and if it was, uh, well, it was hitting me. But uh, is it too deep in the fan service? I can't tell because I'm biased. <laughs> I hear that though. <laughs> I hear that. Well, and somebody in the comments made a made a mention, and sorry, it was a, it was several comments back so i'm not sure who said it but um they said that they didn't really know much about ahsoka tano but they felt that the way that rosario dawson portrayed her they could feel all that backstory in her acting so i'm biased about her too (laughs) i'm biased about her too and she's she you know such a different role for her too, right? Honestly, casting her in this role is kind of casting her against type. Uh, she is so gregarious and so such a passionate performer. And to play someone who is grizzled and wizened and and very selective about what she says is so interesting to see her play. Uh, oh, see, uh, I made perfect sense to me that casting. I mean, it, it did to me too. It's not like I didn't think she was capable of it. It's it's more like it's more like. Um, it's not. It's just not a role that we see her in. Uh, the t- kind of role that I feel like we see her in a lot. Uh, no, I, I think it was. 
Go ahead. I think, it was, yeah. I think it was definitely new to uh, people who know her, her different roles. Um, it was new to me uh, seeing her in this role, but I think it worked out well. Um, you know, coming from, I, I know her most uh, intimately, I guess, from uh, Ke the Kevin Smith movies. That's where I kind of right. picked up on Rosario Dawson. And then all of a sudden having Ahsoka, her whole thing, seeing them come together, it really worked out nicely. I think she added a lot of her own to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, to your point, Andy, you asked uh, if people understood and, and and they knew, you know, they knew not how to feel. But if they could really connect with this episode without having those uh, with that, without having that history. And amazingly, from the people I've talked to, because, uh, you know, I've got a group of friends who don't know about Star Wars, but they're watching The Mandalorian. Like they haven't even seen all the movies. So that was kind of like cool to me that this still played off very well and uh, still worked for them. It was just this strange character that they kind of been building up to a little bit. So when the strange character finally showed up, she gave enough of a, as you said, the presence, the, the hints and everything that it just made it work. So instead of us seeing a, a, a fully created character show up to them, it was like this cool, mysterious character that they wanted to know more about. So I think it worked. And uh, I saw Lexi threw up a hand at one point in there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was that was like a guess. Uh, what point <laughs> was it at? What point was it at? Uh, wait, should we just go ahead and give the spoiler warning now? Yeah, let's do that. Because <laughs> no, we're bursting. We're all bursting. The spoiler <laughs> warning. Uh, or, yeah, you've been warned about the spoiler. Sorry, I lost my thought. Um, you have officially been warned. If you haven't seen it yet and you don't want it spoiled for you, now's the time to log off. But we're getting into it. If we're, if we're talking about Rosario, Rosario Dawson's performance in particular, when I think even people who don't know about the Ahsoka Tano character knew who she was referring to when she said the best mm -hmm. of us. Yeah. And when that and was and, insane. Mm, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that was mm. that. That was a definitely in right, right in the feels. Yeah, yeah. You could you, like, like, yeah. You could just feel like you know, my my brother became the you know evil incarnate. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought it was such a, a good choice, like you said. I, to you know that you said it was a little um, a, against type for her, as you said. And what I thought was very, what I thought made it such a not that I know that you didn't think it was a bad choice. What I'm saying, what to me made it in, intuitive was I went, oh yeah. She has the young Ahsoka energy, mm -hmm. and she is a talented enough actress to yeah. be able to layer on the experience and the trauma. Because, like, let's be real, that's what it is. Girls been through a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so much of it really was without words, you know, just uh, just her and Yoda using the force to to kind of kind of mind meld with each other. Not to reference my other favorite sci-fi franchise but um you know that 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 sort of um telepathic communication where we of course learn that his name is grogu <laughs> i'm still not sure how take, i feel about yeah, that man I'm, I'm getting used to but i'm down i'm down for the ride I, yeah I, 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 I don't think i hate oh, it grogu. but it's just like a shock to the system I was, he has, I, oh my gosh but every time he went huh Ian's yeah, asking yeah. if Grogu is Arubesh for MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> Being mm. a smart ass. Mm. Nice. 
Um, <laughs> so I, I also want to really just talk about, um, so, you know, going into this, there's a lot of anticipation, right? Um, and, and there are all these things where I was kind of like, okay, Dave Filoni, how are you going to tease this out? And he didn't tease it out. He just, bam, hits you over the head with it, right? Like, like there was a whole exposition drop there when we reveal the name, we reveal Grogu's backstory, which I was like, wow, you just put it out there, which honestly, <laughs> yeah. it, and it didn't become like exposition-y, right? It, it was just kind of like, here's a bunch of exposition, and this to me is going, there's a lot other important stuff so we're just gonna mm -hmm. get this out of the way and and that was exciting to me actually um the beginning of this episode killed me absolutely killed me because he totally stole um if any of you guys ever played the force unleashed video game mm. so the force unleashed was a video game a number of years back and it like kind of blew up uh when they first uh, uh revealed its its trailer and they did this whole bit where the main character is kind of a Sith assassin, and uh, they basically showed like a bunch of stormtroopers in an, a room in a dark room, and basically he kind of came up ninja style behind them, and you never saw him until the the the, the, the lightsabers uh, uh, ignited, and uh, it was such an impactful thing, and they totally used it for Ahsoka for for this, which was absolutely perfect because it made Obi Wan her... and Anakin did that as well in Phantom. Was it Phantom Menace? Uh, they came through like the poison fog. What was it? Well, coming through the poison frog fog, but not but not to the point of being like kind of ninja stealth kill, uh, right? Where like oh, oh, I think it was Clone Wars actually. I think they were coming in through they were the coming elevator? through. A, yeah, yeah. But that was you're right. That was like a poison mist. It wasn't like a force fog. Yeah. The, Speaking uh, of the mist, I, I thought it was a really brilliant choice to 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 have it on Corvus and have it looking as it did because not only did it really echo that kind of Kurosawa aesthetic, but it also the fog and the trees and the going to find a, a Jedi sage echoed the going to Dagobah as well. Right. Like echoed yeah. the swamps, echoed the swamps and finding the sage in the swamps and connecting with the neophyte force user. I'm also like, um, you know, you don't have to have giant long legged chameleons eating trees in the background, but you're, you're Filoni and it's right yeah. in your sketchbook. So <laughs> you do. Yes. <laughs> And now I want to know what they're called. And I exactly. Want a red one. <laughs> I, I love how like, one. this like desolated, and we live in Southern California, so fires are no uh, are nothing new to us. So this was not. I mean, it, it was like, oh, we're home. Yeah. But um, yeah. but I love how the area that Ahsoka is in, like, there's so much force surrounding her and flowing around her that there's that. Oh, the floor of the forest is almost like rainforest. Yeah. Right. All like like she's bringing the forest. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. It's like, it's the first time the color palette changes to green, right? Yeah. It's that kind of yeah. hazy, smoggy Imperial strip forested, you know, Brown. 
And then in talking about Dave Filoni, like putting it all out there right in the beginning, I yeah. kind of expected Ahsoka to show up at the end, kind totally. of like the finale of Rebels, you yeah. know, where it's like she would just kind of show up and it would be like, okay, we're going to go into her next episode. Yeah. So for her to be like the very first person we see on screen, I was like, oh, okay, we're doing this. They, yeah. they better, they better care doing her and bring her back and not just have that be a one off. Like, I really hope that they didn't feature her so heavily because it's a one off. I mean, they, you know, I don't know. But that's just, again, because I'm biased and I love her and I want to see more of her. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, okay. Benja wants to say something, but then I have to so, say something after Benja. Uh, so, okay, I'm going to take this off in a slightly different direction. So what I'm hearing here is actually, and I want to phrase this properly, it's not my problem with the show, but <laughs> it's what I brought up. It's what I brought up before with season two. Um, they're doing a lot more of just this... I mean, it's what we've been talking about, the atmosphere, the actors, the Easter eggs, the references, and not so much about the story that they're telling. Um, I had I had actually had pretty high hopes uh, for what they might do with the Jedi versus Mandalorian kind of thing. And I don't know, I felt like that that tension that they were were building up to lasted all of about four seconds. It's like they're about to fight or they're about to have a disagreement. And suddenly, Oh, Bo-Katan sent me. Oh, well, hold, let's have this little adventure. Let's do some exposition with Grogu and all this other stuff happened. And I'm kind of wondering, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wonder about that as a storytelling device where you're not really telling a story. You're just kind of showing things. And I don't know. Well, Go ahead, I mean, Andy. I mean, it's not like they were ever set up to be antagonists, right? Like, we know who our villains are, like, from the opening moments. I mean, you have Michael Bean there, who's sitting there, you know, in all of his, you know, okay, so Michael Bean, of course, is... Okay, Kyle let's Lee's put it this friend. way. There is no tension in this show. There's I don't no think... Tension. Oh. I don't think there... I think I think it's it's very interesting because the two episodes that that we've kind of commented on uh, for a lack of of dramatic tension I think it's actually just from somebody who who went through directing school notable <laughs> notable thing to point out that the those two episodes happen to be uh, spearheaded by um, less experienced live action directors you had um Carl Weathers, who I think it was saying was making his directorial debut. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge shift of the brain to go from acting where you're focused on your character and its relation to the rest of the plot to taking a, a kind of bird's eye view and seeing how everything moves together. And then Dave Filoni coming from uh, a, a more of an animation background and having less experience directing live action. Actually, I don't know how much experience he has, whether that was his uh, first debut during doing live action or whether that was just uh, one of his first few live actions that he's done. I don't Se remember. Season one was his first, was his. Uh, there we go. Action. Okay debut so so only having directed two live actions is going to really take an effect on the way that you uh, uh feed information into your narrative um and i think it, and, it, and it also when you're that new to the live action to, to working with actors to that kind of directing game it really changes how you your ability to create tension because you're fo so focused on the other just basics that those nuances tend to kind of escape or have, have a tendency to escape i know they did with my first five to eight to ten productions I ever directed where I wasn't 
creating tension with something that I was like, it's in the plot. Shouldn't it just happen? You know? Uh, I mean, to me, to me, the, the, the key thing, you know, I wouldn't use tension. I would use stakes. And to me, what are the stakes of the story? Mm-hmm. The stakes are, uh, will, will Ahsoka train the child? Right. That's yeah. the, that's what's at stake here. Uh, that's that's why Mandalorian teams up with her to take down the magistrate, right? Yes. Um, 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 cause he's figuring he can convince her. And it's also, will Mando be able to let go of the child, which mm-hmm. he's not, he ends up not right. Um, he ends up uh, not having to, <laughs> uh, which yeah, is I mean, why it's, we it's have like, these episodes because they're trying yeah. to draw out their relationship before. Yeah. The decision it's, has to be made. And that's the other thing too, right? Like as much as these are episodic uh, tales within a tale, there is still, I, I still see where what we're seeing is there is the a arc. larger arc happening, right? So right now we are towards the tail end of the middle act, the second act of, you know, an eight episode long screenplay. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, so, so I guess what I'm saying is I can't tell if the lack of, of dramatic tension comes from the inexperience of the directors or if it comes from the plot itself um i I have a i'm right now currently leaning towards the inexperienced director theory just because of everything that that is being pointed out with the narrative will they won't they of of uh will jinjarin give up grogu and when and how um you know because for him it's kind of becoming clear at least i think to me it seems that to Dinjarna's question is really uh, now that he's admittedly attached to Grogu. Now his question is, how long am I going to be enough for him? Yeah. Well, you know, well, how long am I going to be enough? Established, for him? This episode established that it's going to be Grogu's choice. Yes. It's not going to be Dinjarna's choice. It's not going to be the mm-hmm. Jedi's choice. It's going to be Grogu's choice. You know, and and I, oh, I so, really so, hope. Keep going, keep going. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, this is another thing too, right? Like, like to me, like the moment we know what the real stakes are come in the first scene that we see with Mando and the child is he says, all right, go get, go strap yourself in, go get in the seat. And he's like, what I say, get back in the seat. And it's like, that's like, <laughs> that is, that moment is about, he's become a better parent now. Right. Mm-hmm. And he and the child are bonded in a way where the child is starting to respect his authority. Um, um, you know, we, we kind of revisit this feeling again, when he shows up, he goes to the razor crest to take him to deliver him to Ahsoka and the child is sleeping and he like starts to try and wake him up. And then he just lets him sleep. Let's and you can kind of see that the, the tension of, of you know, will he let go of the child? Right. You also you also see a, a, a deepening of him under literally understanding what makes the little guy tick because Ahsoka offers him a rock to try and get to do this exercise mm-hmm. and he tries it at first and then thinks, no, you know what? Let's give him the toy that he wants. And yeah. and it's interesting because actually thinking about it again, that that might have also influenced Ahsoka's decision to say. This child is very emotionally compromised because oh, she might have noticed, right? She notices he won't he won't take the rock. He takes the thing he has the emotional connection to, and she sees that it's always it takes the emotional reaction. And seeing that he's incapable of utilizing the force unless he's emotionally triggered, she I think is noticing that this is. And it's interesting because she doesn't she doesn't tell him that he should never be 
trained because ultimately she does tell him where to go to, to, to tap into the force and to possibly find a mentor. But I think it's very interesting because uh, younger Ahsoka would have uh, jumped in and wanted to help save and mentor the baby because I, I think because she is such a protective, I want to, I can't let, you know, she, she has to be very hands-on. So I think that it's very interesting because you see kind of reflected in the line where she says, references Anakin Vader, what happens to the best of us. I've seen what happens to the best of us. I feel like that's her grown up admitting I'm too close to this kind of situation to be the right Mm -hmm. mentor for him. I'm not the right mentor and I will do more harm than good. um, Was my take off of it. Uh, Which I thought was in keeping with her character arc and, and what needed to be done. You know, the other thing too, with this show, right? I mean, you could almost say that part of the kind of mission statement of this show has been to keep things outside of galactic consequence, right? This has been a very personal story. It's not the Skywalkers. It's not the fate of the galaxy at mm. stake. It's, it's the man yet, right? Yeah, or, or it's but or it's but, how, but saying, how these like this yeah. is something this is something that I've really enjoyed because I don't want it to be about the Skywalkers, right? Like, I mean, yeah. maybe Luke will be the one who hears him, but it's like I really kind of have been enjoying that this is off in the wilds and some other, you know, smaller stakes mm-hmm. personal thing happening, uh, adjacent to or alongside mm-hmm. all the gigantic conflict. Over on the other side of the galaxy, and I think so, a lot of people that's just me, though. appreciated that it's not a Jedi-based show. Kind of like they appreciated yeah. that neither was Rogue One or even Solo. There weren't mm-hmm. really any Jedi in them at all. But and and I, I definitely had that thought go through my head while I was watching the episode. But then it's hard to not appreciate the fights between the Jedi and. You know, like it just anytime that there's lightsabers involved in a fight, it's it's so fun yeah. to watch. It's mm-hmm. there's nothing like it. There really isn't. Yeah. No, I mean it was the the lightsaber sound. It was like um, you know, Cartoon Network's Star Wars sound. Anytime something Star Wars would happen, they would zero right before it started up. Yeah. You know, and it, it's it's definitely iconic. Um, They've got so- us trained like little Pavlovian dogs for it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, you see where I'm getting at, but I've been in the comments yeah. and talking to people, a lot of what's um, coming back to people that don't necessarily follow all of Star Wars like we do, is that fact that so much of it is so heavy on the, and I'm not saying that the the tension and the stakes aren't there, they're just intentionally not focused on as heavy as the references, the, uh, you know, the styling, the right. Directors even, you know, um, I think the last big thing people talked about was, you know, should Baby Yoda be eating eggs or not? What kind of creature is this? And you start to wonder (laughs) about his character as a as a Grogu uh, or as a Yoda being, you know. He was eyeballing those fish too. Did you see that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. those carp. My, my sci-fi bio thought is that 
his species has needs so much protein because their brains are so large that he just needs to eat all of the protein. <laughs> I mean, he's due for a growth spurt, clearly. I right? Mean. <laughs> okay. We we've, so, we've we've talked we've hardly talked about like the 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 like parts of the episode. Like we've got you know some of the some of the cast. We talked a little bit about how yeah. Michael Bean pay, plays so, the so, Lang, right? And yeah. of course, we know him from Alien. We know him as Kyle Reese from Terminator. Mm-hmm. We know him as like Johnny Ringo from Tombstone, which his death scene kind of reminded me of a little bit with a, um, such a good gunslinger shootout. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. And so, who's the um, other I, big I also just want to call out. Do we know? Do we know the Corvus from anywhere? This uh, planet. The planet. Or the city? You know the city. But okay. doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> well, and Morgan Elsbeth is a new character, as far as I know. But her, the yes. actress who plays her, is a really amazing woman in that her father was a very prolific martial arts coordinator, and her godfather was Bruce Lee. And she was Buffy stunt yeah, so, double so, on Buffy the Fire Slayer. So, so Diana Lee. That I didn't so, know. Yeah, so Diana Lee Inosanto, uh, who, yeah, uh, she is. And you know, this is the, the thing too, uh, that this episode released on what would have been Bruce Lee's 80th birthday. Oh, oh, that's I nice. That. Yeah, that's fun. I love so that. So that's a little double win there. Uh, no, yeah, great, great to see uh, Diana out there doing her thing. Um, um, she's a great martial artist, and you know, great fight choreographer and director and filmmaker in her own right. Um, and a really interesting character with uh, this Beskar uh, spear, which was an interesting way to give Ahsoka a duel. Um, you know, yeah. one thing that I kind of noticed and wasn't really sure if there's anything anything to be made of this, but um, she has that little tattoo that kind of peeked out from under her her yeah. her hairline, which I was curious about. Of like, is there a full tattoo like under the hair? Um, her hair that, was kind of that Ray style too. It's a very yeah, popular she had, hairstyle. She had a braid, mm-hmm. but it's kind of you yeah, know. The, I mean, she had the four buns. Mind if I uh, and then a jump in real quick? Sure. <gasps> the voice of Rod. <laughs> voice of Rod. Hey, the voice of Rod. Oh. <laughs> Just wanted to jump in real quick. Uh, I wanted to share a short story, a short anecdote. When I was watching the episode, um, the whole time I had this feeling like I knew the actress. Like I was like, this has to be some kind of like. Uh, Filipino actress that I've never I don't know you know I just recognize her as Filipina and then at the credits and I saw it was Dan uh, Diana Inosanto basically uh, Dan Inosanto's daughter I I I freaked out like I absolutely freaked out I was like oh my god that makes totally sense and then um, so I know uh, Andy explained a little bit so basically she is the goddaughter of Bruce Lee Dan Inosanto is the best friend of Bruce Lee, and he's a Filipino. And he taught he Co- taught co-founded uh, Cheat Kundo yeah, together. Yeah, and he uh, he he basically taught like Bruce Lee nunchucks. Um, Sick. Well, and 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 Escrima, all that stuff. So, uh, and Dan Inosanto basically um, he has trained pretty much every fight coordinator, and and uh, and that's the reason why you see filipino martial arts in like sh- uh, movies like born identity uh etc etc screamer and then ahsoka the fact that she dual wheels that's definitely a screamer as well like this is style 
and so um yeah just when I, I just thought it was like and then the fact that it was uh the birthday Bruce Lee's birthday i mean it was just like it had so much wrapped into the just that one casting choice it just like was just amazing so yeah yeah, Diana also has a bit of history with Usos players where I work too. She actually, I think she choreographed uh, fights for a couple of shows before I got here. Um, but uh, most notably, there was a play called Be Like Water where there was a Bruce Lee character played by actor Cesar Cipriano, who I think she did all the choreography to be authentic to Bruce <laughs> since, you know. She grew up that with him. That's one of the things I love about this it's show so cool. is that everything is so layered. Like every Easter egg is layered, every casting choice is layered. There's, there's, I feel like nothing, no de- detail is, uh, hasn't been thought of and accounted for when it comes so to everything's intentional. Everything's so, intentional. Everything's yeah, intentional. It is, and it so, so speaking feel, of detail, yeah, and it doesn't feel like. I guess one of the other things too I want to ask you guys, like the, going back to casting. It doesn't feel like stunt casting either, right? Like it, it just feels like, oh yeah, okay, that's you know typically the elephant, but like he feels like he's part of it, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like oh, what do you mean by stunt casting? Like stunt casting, like you know, Game of Thrones fan service. Yeah, they had Mm -hmm. what's his name? All of a sudden, he's one of the Lannister, you know, um, the singer. Oh, um, oh, yeah, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Yeah. I don't even like Ed Sheeran that much. And I still knew who it was. Yeah. Point. Case in point. Case right. in point. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's like stunt casting, where it's like, okay, it's, it's yeah, it's just a cameo, but it's like it just it just brings you out of it, right? These things are like, yeah, oh, that's Michael Bean. Oh, that's you know, it just is, doesn't feel even like, Rosario Dawson, who like we were exactly, saying, exactly, was, yeah, Ming was a Wen. fan casting on us. Right? That started yeah. that started on yeah. Twitter. Like, <laughs> Ming Na Wen, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't. They don't. They're not doing it in such a way that it's like, oh, you know, it, this is a stunt. It's just like it just feels organic. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, so I also just want to point out too, right, like this episode, you know, we already talked about kind of aesthetically uh, Filoni's pulling a lot from Akira Kurosawa, but also you have like design wise, this walled city that looks like Southern China, right, down to having like the walled city with the, 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 the turrets up above and like the village in the middle that with the one street town that leads up to a circular palace um, in, within another wall, right? Like that is that is straight out of Southern China. Um, or um, like kind of a samurai vibe as well, like from the old Japanese movies. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that kind of borrowed from Western and Western borrowed from them and all that. The, uh, also just pointing out um, our other major character, the former governor of, of Corvus is played by Wing Chow, who was a Disney legend and Disney Imagineer who was uh, a so huge cool. part of creating the whole Disney cruise lines and also did a lot of negotiation for uh, uh, some of the foreign parks in Hong Kong and France. Uh, so he's, you know, clearly know a bit of a star Wars nerd as well. And, you know, Okay, you know favor. that you know that gif, you know that you, you know that gif that has like Kirk McCoy and Scotty all nodding to each other. Mm-hmm. They need to make one of those out of this episode because everybody just nodded at each other the whole time. Yeah, you know, it's like, so much nodding. 
I, I'm calling all the gift makers out there. Make it make a new GIF. <laughs> so you know, so that was the great thing about that final the final like siege, right? So you have like Ahsoka down the the end of the the, the one street uh, before she goes off and like you know takes down the, the various soldiers one by one, and then you have the standoff between Mando and and uh, and uh, you know Kyle Kyle re, you know Lang Lang. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Just gonna call him Kyle Reese, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, and which he even point, has kind of an Asian me, name. At, uh, yeah, and, and it occurred to me you have you basically have a samurai movie and uh, a western happening at the same time. A western, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With just a wall in between them. <laughs> yeah, I love God. I love the whole guys- bit with them listening to the fight happening beyond the wall. That was that was brilliant. Yeah. That was some really brilliant writing and editing in there. And and the tension of him like slowly edging I his just, way closer, you know, doing the classic, you know, western quick draw standoff. <laughs> the hand on the on the by the holster. Yeah. Yeah. Switching just ever so slightly. It was yeah. very yeah, that was very classic. They did so they did good I things just, with that. I just saw the time and we haven't even talked about any of the Easter eggs and I only have four <laughs> this time. Easter eggs, Easter eggs. So, yeah. Easter eggs. The, the, the rest we'll do in like little short videos or something, but okay. Can I go through my Easter eggs real do it, quick? Do it, do it. Okay. So if you look very, very closely when Mando is walking towards the area where Ahsoka Tano is, you'll notice that there's an owl in a tree, right? Mm. And which is sort of indicative or we're, we're, we're assuming it's kind of like the Mirai, right? And we talked about the daughter and how she sacrificed herself for, so that Ahsoka Tano could live. But what we didn't talk about is that she then became what is almost like a spirit animal in the form of a Mirai, right? Of a, of a bird that follows Ahsoka Tano around. And so the, the idea is that that bird and that tree was probably the daughter as the Mirai. Right. So I just wanted to point that out because if it's, it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. I and did then, notice the owl and I, I'd also thought of uh, the night owls because of her connection to that as well. But A little like <laughs> double entendre action going mm-hmm. on all mm-hmm. those layers. <laughs> okay. And then the next one was, of course, we saw um, Ahsoka and and Grogu um, having their 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 telepathic conversation. And when she brings Mando back into it and she says... There, I've only ever seen one person who who is like this creature, and that is Master Yoda. And if you listen really closely, you can hear a little bit of the John Williams Yoda theme in the background as as Grogu okay. looks at her because he it seems like he recognizes the name Yoda. You hear that little bit of of the Yoda theme mm. in the background. There was but it's another, so light. Uh, there was also another really light uh, uh, light motif callback too. Um, in the first sequence, the first time they have the hero shot of Ahsoka, they actually run Ahsoka's leitmotif uh, theme from the Clone Wars. Oh, actually. see, I didn't even notice that. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. And the, the 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 I said <laughs> much fear in you line. That's exactly what Yoda said to Anakin, right in the Phantom Menace. It's yeah. word for word mm-hmm. what he said to him when he's presented to the Jedi Council as a candidate for. For training to be a Padawan, she, a youngling Padawan. She also uh, she also borrows uh, straight out of um, Obi Wan's line from uh, Episode Four: um, "The Force is what gives the Jedi his power." Mm. Very nice. 
Okay, and then we get we get this. Uh, of course, the the main point of this episode is that Ahsoka Tano is trying to get a name out of the. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. And what we finally find out is that she's looking for Grand Admiral Throng, who is unique in that he's one of the few characters that is that was part of the extended universe that when Disney bought uh, Star Wars, they pretty much threw out that whole extended universe. Right. But it was such a popular character in the books that Dave Filoni brought him in to. Uh, Rebels, and I think he made his debut towards the end of ep- of season three, and then season four really focused on on Thrawn, right? Right. Well, and it also uh, it was the, uh, Thrawn is a very important factor for the end of the Rebels series, and how right. that we see him disappearing into hyperspace alongside Ezra Bridger, right? Yes. And didn't and there was if you look really closely there's a loth cat there as well which are from Ezra's home planet. So I was yes. wondering if that was like a little teaser that we were going to perhaps see Ezra mm-hmm. come in at some point. Well okay, before you get too far away from Thrawn though, right? Uh so uh the other thing too is that there's also another little hint at this when you see the HK droids. So first of all quickly HK droids are a reference to well it's a double reference, right? There's a reference to the HK droids from Knights of the Old Republic video game. Where you had a really instead of who was like a really like jerk of a droid who is one of your 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 party, but then these are HK. What are they? Eighty eighty sevens. Yeah, Uh, and they actually have a logo printed on the side, which is the logo for the Seventh Fleet, which was uh, Thrawn's fleet that handled the embargo of Lothal um, in in Rebels. And then my last one, since we're we're really going over here, is that Tython, one of the sacred Jedi sites, that is originally the home of the Jedi Order, which was the predecessor of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So just a just a little like history throw out there. And the rest of the Jedi, the Easter eggs, I'll go in through later. We'll do some little clips or something. Yes. Yeah, so what we're doing, um, as Tracy's referring to there, is a series of little Easter egg videos. Um, there are so many in this show that we just want to probably put them out into a separate, uh, their own separate little videos. So if you have any suggestions for those or you, something you'd like to see um, along that line, make sure you let us know in the comments or on our YouTube channel or anything like that. And uh, I've got to say, um, you seem very comfortable saying Grogu. Grogu. Uh, now. Grogu. Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> People are mad. We'll get used to it. Live with it. It's done. Can't people were mad. It, it, people were mad. It wasn't Boba Fett. They got over that real fast. <laughs> I mean, it's better than Yaddle. It is better than no, Yaddle. I, I like that name much better. Really? <laughs> yeah, Yaddle, Yaddle. I don't know. Yaddle Yoda. See, it all kind of flows there. You know, Grogu, it sounds like it could be an infection of some type. He's, you know, he's you got the Grogu. Part of the planet. They got different dialects. <laughs> it's still double, double, still, uh, yes. two, still baby two syllables, Yoda. vowel ending. People are still yeah. going to call him Baby Yoda. I'm going to still call him Baby Yoda. <laughs> we've, we've become too accustomed. Well, he is a baby of Yoda's species, so Baby Yoda is still technically correct. 
And considering well. that there's a good good possibility that Yoda trained him, it's still baby Yoda is still very <laughs> applicable, right? Okay, but is he is he Yoda and Yaddle and Yaddle's baby? Like that's <laughs> now that we know he was now that we know he was on. Ooh. Well, and who Gimble. took the theory? Who, who took Grogu? Was it Yaddle? Was it Obi Wan? Was it yeah, uh, actually, Mace Windu? Really... We don't know if Mace Windu survived. That's a really like you know place of story right like like they just refer to that time after the fall of the jedi temple is just where his memory goes dark we don't know if he was you know frozen in carbonite or if he was under care of someone else i mean that that's an interesting story for another day jason is screaming no at us right now (laughs) (laughs) he says he says yakasta knew maybe So, oh my god, it's 820. Hey, so, so yes, any right, any thoughts really quickly, guys, on what's coming up next? Uh, we did this last time. We have three more episodes remaining. Uh, what are we looking forward to seeing? Andy, I know you had some notes. Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> uh, reported, reported that Robert Rodriguez is going to direct this next episode. So I'm expecting this to be like bonkers in action. Yeah, and out of control stuff. And we also have uh, Moff Gideon. He's got to do his thing. Uh, they've been slow building up. I expect that'll be like the last episode um, with more of him involved, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if we'll if we'll I wonder if we'll see like come to fruition like the if they'll actually pay off the the Boba Fett tease if Fennec Shan will show up again um, or. If- you know, because I don't feel like we're going to see any new characters now. I feel like they've they spent enough time. Yeah, if they introduce new characters, I don't know. That's I think that's a little. I'm getting back to our fan servicey thing. You know, I think they just they have enough to deal with here. Yeah. All right. Any thoughts on that, Lexi? Kind of agreeing with you guys. I don't think that they can add a lot uh, a lot more without um, taking up too much time away from wrapping up what they've already introduced. So I'm really hoping for uh, a little bit more touching back on that dark saber and kind of tying things together. Cause they've brought a lot, of, they've introduced a lot of great elements tying kind of anchoring this uh, storyline into the star Wars universe, even more than before. I think so too. Uh, so that about wraps up. Uh, thank you. Trace Easter eggs. I'm not allowed to have an opinion, I guess that's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's okay i've already no you, you didn't you didn't do the wave hand thing okay i, I, I thought you usually like wave your hand yeah. or you know oh we got questions <laughs> i used the for no i was answering question they're asking uh there yeah there there's all kinds of things about how and andy who just disappeared about how his uh grogu has no face and i'm saying yeah it's really creepy he's not a very good dad like jen we're we're have, we're, have, we're, we're bonding me and the chat people so Chat's good. that's good yeah i wanted to get on him about his little uh the shoulder yoda that's a uh, that's funny shoulder baby yoda <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess I'll have to give Andy his uh, own little outro here. Um, so listen, that's getting towards the end of our time here with the Pod Squadron podcast. Really thank everybody for joining us. Do not forget, we have um, outlets here on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, however you like to connect. Uh, our podcast is up and going. 
And all of our, all the audio from this is uploaded to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. If we don't have your favorite player, please contact us through whatever means uh, you like and let us know, and we will get your podcast player added. Um, and Andy is the fight choreographer, uh, performer, puppeteer, and director known as the Chinese Pirate. You can find him online at, at Chinese Pirate underscore in most places. Tracy, where can they find you? Uh, Facebook at Hot Nerd Girl, Instagram, Hot Nerd Girl Official, Twitter at Hot underscore Nerd underscore Girl. And Lexi? Uh, my Instagram uh, is Kaleidoscope Creature. And uh, from there, you can find the rest of my creative endeavors. All right, have a good night. I yeah, uh, I, did, I did look up Kaleidoscope Creature last week when you mentioned that. That's pretty cool stuff you got going on there. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I picked that because uh, there's, there's too many things that I do. <laughs> you are a Kaleidoscope. So, so, and uh, I am Mr. Benja from the 8-Bit Cubist. You can find me at mrbenja.com, um, and you can laugh at how busted my website is. And everything that we're doing here, we're putting out through the Pod Squadron channels, as we said before. Be sure to check with us every week here on Twitch. Uh, Twitch.tv slash PanGeekery is probably where you'll find us. And But just keep up and you'll find uh, all the new information, all the new news. Contact us. Let us know what's going on. We're trying to be an interactive show here. We love you and thank you. And that is our show for this week. <laughs>